uh, the worship team it did an awesome job. I love what they're doing for our group. I had a cell phone on here for a second ago. I couldn't grab it. But it is also great to see the group from Tyler here. For those that don't know, we do have a few disciples uh, that are out there uh, trying to be a light to the community there, allowing Jesus to reflect his light off of them onto the community. And it's great that we can go almost, almost anywhere and have people fellowshipping. And we also, bless you, we also have some disciples here from the Lubbock Church as well. Great to see them. I guess they wanted to come to Dallas to watch Texas Tech uh, advance. Now, they, they had a brother, a David Kern. Many of you guys know David Kern, but he was married yesterday to his beautiful bride. So they came up not only to worship with us, but to support David. Uh, but it is awesome when the saints come together. And me and uh, Michael Trent, we were uh, uh, conversing together in the back. And when we was praying during contribution, just the buzz in the crowd of us speaking to God together. I mean, there is nothing more beautiful when people in one voice are praying to God. And it's, it's one of those that do it often in your homes, you know, at your jobs. If you got a disciple there, even if you don't, get one of your coworkers. Let's pray to God and let people know that God owns everything. He's in this place. If we're there, if his disciples are there, then he is there. And it, it's just awesome. Uh, within that. But we also have some news that is great. We had somebody get baptized this past week, had all their sins washed away, and have the Holy Spirit. You're like, I don't even know who it is. This is awesome, right? But I want Bernice to stand up in the campus. So she was added to God's kingdom this past week. I know her parents are elated. Uh, her sister, uh, sisters, and brother as well. But it's always awesome to have somebody added to God's kingdom. Amen. 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 If you guys can turn with me to Mark chapter one, we're starting a new series based on the Gospel of Mark. Going to the time, going to a place where Jesus walked the earth, and be able to see it uh, from Mark, John Mark's perspective. And it's going to be a great opportunity also as we dive into Mark uh, for those, be it like Bernice said, recently added to God's kingdom, to be able to learn how or, or what are some of the, I guess, skills, what are some of the tricks when it comes to studying the Bible? Because one thing that is happening right now that's different uh, than what happened 2,000 years ago is that when you watch the news, you know about the places, you know about the people, you know about the times because you guys are in the times. So when you turn on Fox News or CNN or you look at some of the local channels, when they say, hey, this happened in Richardson, you know where Richardson is. At least most of us do, right? You might have to GPS it real quick, but we know where Richardson is. But one thing that's different when we read the word of God, unless you're from uh, the Middle East are from Israel, we're not familiar with that land. We're not familiar with what was happening 2,000 years ago. We're not familiar even with the climate or familiar with the landscape. 
So we want to, during this time, and today, uh, actually, as we set up the gospel of Mark, give you guys some background to help enhance your own Bible study. So that when you're having your time, when you're walking with God, you can get as much out of it as possible. Amen? In Mark chapter 1, we're just going to focus on the, the first 11 verses and also just the background of Mark. But here in Mark chapter 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. You will prepare, who will prepare your way? A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which Bernice just got to partake in this past week. Verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. Sound like Oscar night uh, going on here, the Emmys or something. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee, uh, Nazareth in Galilee, uh, was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was, was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is the beginning of the gospel of Mark. Unlike Matthew and unlike Luke, which starts with Jesus and his birth and with Mary uh, receiving uh, Jesus and Joseph trying to figure out, okay, am I going to stay with this woman or not? Mark, he starts right in the action. He starts with John the Baptist. He starts with Jesus and his ministry, which is different than Matthew and Luke. Uh, John is kind of similar to that, where it goes and talks about Jesus and his ministry right from the get-go. So one of the things I want to do to help set up our time is what is happening? What's the, what's the setting that is going on? So let's start with the author, right? You're like, okay, I'm, I'm guessing it's Mark. You guessed right. And you're like, okay, who is Mark? Was he one of the 12 apostles? Nope. nope, he wasn't one of the 12 apostles. He was one of the other guys, right? He ended up walking with, not walking with Jesus, but walking with the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul after Jesus' death. So this is an account similar to Luke's account of someone hearing secondhand about Jesus and his ministry, but a very reputable source because the apostle Peter walked with Jesus. And then we have a couple different things here. John Mark in the New Testament, uh, he's mentioned multiple times in Acts. And the funny thing about the first time he is mentioned in Acts is talking about his mother, actually. 
about the, the disciples coming over to his mother's house to pray. But then you have Paul in his relationship with John Mark. And just some of the things that they went through is illustrated through the next, the New Testament. And we have some of the different uh, references there of Mark being in the New Testament. So we have this gentleman here. We have this disciple who was converted after Jesus, and he's writing his account about Jesus. Who is he writing to? The gospel doesn't say who. The gospel doesn't tell you who he's writing to. And you imagine this. Have you ever read a book? Have you? Hopefully everybody's read at least one book, right? (laughs) I got the teens like, what? Like, what? What? Uh, E-book? You know, what was happening on that? No, I know we got a lot of smart, brilliant teens over here. I can tell. I know he's like, smart. Yes, they're very smart uh, in it. But imagine this. You're reading this gospel account. And you're like, okay, who is he addressing? And is it important? Is it important who he's addressing? Yes. But also, it applies to everyone as well. So let's look at uh, the audience. Since it's not directly told through the gospel, you have to use clues to be able to, to gather, okay, what is happening. We got clues that we can gather for some of those that live closer to the apostles' time, the church fathers uh, of the second century and third century. The other thing you can look at is the clues from the scriptures themselves. If we can look at the next slide when it comes to uh, the audience here. Many think that it is a Gentile audience. Let's do one more and we'll come back to that slide. Many think it's a Gentile audience because of two major reasons is that when Jewish customs are told about in the scripture, he explains it. John Mark does. And when the languages of Aramaic and Hebrew are referenced, you know, because it was written in Greek, when he used Aramaic and Hebrew, he had the translated form. And you think about that. If I was living in Mexico and someone said an English word and they had to translate it for me, most likely I'm not from America, right? And that's what the scholars, they look at that. They look at it like, man, they must have not been Jews because you won't have to translate Hebrew and Aramaic for Jew. And even the customs, Jews are very, very well informed about their customs, right? Passover, you know, the different uh, festivals that they have. They're very well informed. So for Mark to explain it, he's not just being redundant. He's helping inform the audience that he's reading to or writing to in this case. So we got Mark. We have the audience here. And I want to go back to that slide of this quote uh, about the author. You know, it says here, Mark being the interpreter of Peter. Whatsoever he recorded, he wrote with great accuracy, but not, however, in the order in which it was spoken or done by our Lord. For he neither heard nor followed our Lord. But as before said, he was in the company with Peter, who gave him such instructions as was necessary. You know, this is one of the church fathers, Papias, who's 
quoted by a church historian here. And it's amazing to be able to go back some 1,900 years to this church father where they were thinking that, yes, this was written and attributed to John Mark. And it's much easier to do that then, just a, a few generations after Jesus, than it is for us now, right? Because when we read the Bible, we're like, I, I can't tell who wrote it, right? They must have been spiritual, whoever it was, but that's all we have. So we have the author, John Mark. We have the audience, Gentiles, and many think that it was Gentiles that lived in Rome. But some of the themes of the gospel of Mark that come out, that are illuminated, that we will look at as we go through these next few weeks of diving into the John Mark. As we saw in the very first verse, what did he say? This is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark wanted to make it absolutely clear to the disciples that he was, that he was writing to that Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was not just a prophet. Jesus was not just someone that was wise behind his years, but he was the anointed one. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. You think about how important for us to understand that, not just then, but even right now. Because when you search Jesus, a cursory Google search, you have all type of things that'll pop up of people's opinions about Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that that happened some 2,000 years ago, not the Googling part, right? But the opinions portion, that everyone had their opinion about who Jesus was. Oh, yeah, he was just a magician. He was just a swindler. You know, I, I bet you if I would have seen one of his miracles, I would have saw the trick that he had. And that even happens today. Where people, where, where we think, where we overthink things so much, where, where we end up mudding the water, where the Christ is just a man and no longer the Son of God. They dealt with that some 2,000 years ago as well. Why was it so important for the word to be passed along? But also you see that, as I mentioned earlier, that Jesus was a man of purpose, a man of action. You know, he was one of those that was always going. And like immediately he went here and he did this and he did that because he was a man of action. But he was also a man that connected his actions and his purpose to those that follow him. And that's where we come in, right? Because we get to embrace Jesus and his purpose. We get to embrace going to go make disciples just like he did back then, which we will look at. Jesus, a worker of miracles. Jesus, also a sufferer of injustice. The last five or six verses of the Gospel of Mark details his last week in Jerusalem. John Mark wanted to make sure that those, those Gentiles that were being persecuted at that time because it was thought that this was written between 65 and 70 A.D. And for those that didn't know, in 64 A.D., Rome caught on fire. The great city of Rome caught on fire. And guess who they blamed? The Christian folk. The Christians, they were the ones that set it afire. 
They try to bring hell here on earth. It was like, no, it, it wasn't us. That's not what we're about, right? That's not what Jesus is about. So guess what happens when the emperor says that you did it? Everyone is looking at you. And John Mark wanted to make sure that the disciples understood that this persecution, Jesus had already talked about before. That those who follow me, you will be persecuted. And as they were living it out, he said, don't, don't let go of the reins. Don't stop the walk. And we have to do that even now, right? We have to do that where we have to continue to hold on. We got things that are happening in our life where you're like, man, I don't wish this upon anyone. But then it's happening to us. We're like, God, why? Why me? So that my grace can be sufficient. So that my power will be shown in your weakness. And John Mark wanted to make sure that the disciples, they understood that. And as we continue to go and as we continue to unpack this, the geography. Uh, did, did anybody major in geography in school? Who don't got any major? What? Who just likes geography? Okay, we got a few. If I were to say, is this west, east, north, or south, which way is this? Oh, close. Okay. All right, well, I think we failed. I think, well, y'all did raise your hand and say y'all wasn't geography major. So this is west. This is west right over here. This is north, that's south, that's east. Hey, that's why we're doing what we're doing, amen? That's why we got the maps. Because one of the things as you read through the Gospels, have you ever heard a city or heard of a place and you're like, I have no idea where that place is? One of the things that we have here, you know, you got uh, Jerusalem towards the bottom by the Dead Sea and Judea. But the geography that the gospel of Mark happened in was the areas of Galilee, Samaria, Judea, and then the uh, Gentiles, the fully Gentile areas of the Decapolis and Phoenicia. You have Decapolis here uh, on the right, which is east on the map, right? And then you have on the northwest uh, in yellow there, you have Phoenicia, which were Gentile areas. And so as you journey, as we journey together through John Mark, it's great to do a little Google search about a map. So you can see, okay, when Jesus went from Galilee to Jerusalem, how far was that? It was actually 70 miles. The same distance of going to Terrell, Texas, to Fort Worth. Jesus made that trip three times a year for the festivals. And it wasn't Uber. It was on foot. So you imagine making that trek. I mean, I think I told you guys before, I may have ran three miles at one time. But to do 67 more, that's, that's a game changer, right? That's a game changer. But that's what was happening during the time of Jesus. And being able to understand the map, okay, when they say he went to the Decapolis and healed someone, was that a Gentile nation? Was that a Jewish nation? And it illuminates some of the stories and why John Mark brought up certain things, which we'll be able to go to and more as we continue. The social setting of what was happening. Do y'all remember who they were under, the rule that the people were under during this time of the Bible? The Romans. The Jews had been under Roman rule since 63 B.C. 
So many generations before Jesus even hit the scene, they were under the oppression of the Romans. The cool thing, though, the Romans had such respect, you know, for the, the sovereignty of the Jews that they allowed them not to uh, go to court on the Sabbath. They said that, hey, you don't have to uh, pray to Caesar or the emperor. So they gave them, God, even though they were doing some backsliding, the, the Israelites, God gave them some attaboys and said, I'm, I'm going to give you a few passes because you're still my people, even though you're going the other way. And isn't that awesome about God? You know, we can, we can look at our life right now and see that, man, it's, it's times where I wasn't reading the word. I didn't even own a Bible. I wasn't talking to God. I wasn't praying to God. I wasn't sharing about the blessings that God has given me. I wasn't even attributing the blessings that I received to God. I attributed it to myself and my hard work. That he still allows us to live life and was waiting for that opportunity when we repent and turn to him. That's how good Jesus is. That's how good God is. That even when we're backsliding, even when we're doing the moonwalk spiritually, right? I, I won't display that right now. <laughs> I won't display that. Might mess around and trip, right? Right here on stage. Might have Vernon Sutherland do it for me. Go ahead and show me the. He said, no, nah, won't do it. So I say, I'll give you a little bit. I'll give you if I have my other shoes on. But this is, this is the context of John Mark, of who he was writing to a people that was under rule, which makes very much sense that when John the Baptist said the anointed one is coming, they was thinking a king, a warrior, that was going to free us from the rule of the Romans. And that makes more sense to me. I'm like, okay, why did they think he's going to be king? Why did they think he was going to be what, what they continued to express? But once you see the social setting, he was in, okay, it makes sense. And one of the other things that was very, very enlightening, you know, getting ready for this series, Galilee, they're still Galileans, they're still Jews. Then you got Jerusalem, which is the Mecca of Jews, right, where the temple resides. One of the things that I found out and one of the things I'll read to you guys here is that the northern province of Galilee was decis decisively distinct, both in history, political status, and culture from the southern province of Judea, which is where the holy city of Jerusalem was. Listen to this. Racially, this is from a commentary from the, actually the Gospel of Mark or Matthew by R.T. France. It says, racially, the area of the former northern king kingdom, which is where Galilee resides, of Israel, had been under Syrian conquest in the 8th century B.C. And a more mixed population within which more conservative Jewish areas like Nazareth and Capernaum stood in close proximity to largely pagan cities, of which in the first century the new Hellenistic centers of Tiberias and Sepphoris were the chief examples. So to put that in plain English, right? Galilee was on the edge of where the northern kingdom of Israel was when it was a united kingdom. And since they was on the edge, they were right on the border 
of pagan cities, cities who did not worship God, cities who sacrificed their children to their gods, who used sex as a way to show their dedication to their gods. You think about that. I'm in Jerusalem, which is where the Holy Grail was. And I'm looking north 70 miles at all these people. They're right there by the Gentiles. You know they're being corrupted. You know that this is happening. They probably don't even speak the same language that we speak anymore. And you see even one of the things that it talks about in Mark or in the Gospels. I don't know if y'all remember where uh, Peter was denying Jesus. And they said, hey, I know you was one of the guys because your accent gives you away. Because 11 out of 12 of Jesus' disciples, they were from Galilee. They wasn't from Jerusalem. So you act, say if we had, you know, New Yorkers here. When, you, when a New Yorker speak, number one, you better listen, right? <laughs> but number two, they do sound differently than us that have that Texas draw down south, right? But they had the same things going on. I guess this don't work as well as I thought it would. They had the same thing going on back in Jerusalem during that time. But you imagine that. You imagine that this Savior of the world, because Jesus, he lived in Nazareth, right? He lived in Galilee. Imagine this. Imagine the guy that comes after me. He just came straight out of prison. And now he's going to be leading this church. What are some of the thoughts that come to mind? What are some of the things and some of the nuances and some of the bias that we may have just because where he comes from? Jesus had to deal with that. Being in the look down upon Galilee country. They were like, man, this guy, can anything? I don't know if some of you guys might even remember this. When they figured out that Jesus was the anointed one, they're like, can anything come good out of Galilee? Can anything? Because they had something against them. They had a purity that they thought they were not really engaged in, like down south. But religiously, the Judean, which is where Jerusalem was, right? So you got Judea, and then you got Galilee, which is held Capernaum in Nazareth, uh, where Jesus was from. Religiously, the Judean opinion was that Galileans were lax in their observance of proper ritual. And the problem was exacerbated by the distance of Galilee from the temple and the theological leadership which was forced or which was focused in Jerusalem. So they're saying here that, okay, the closer you are to Jerusalem, the more holy you are. Sometimes we might even think that in our own culture, right? All right, if I'm here on Sundays, if I go to Bible talk, if I come on Wednesdays, I must be, I must, I must be much more holier than that person that don't come two out of three. But Jesus, he came on the scene. He said, I'm looking at you guys' hearts. I'm looking directly into your hearts, directly in your minds. I don't care if you're showing up. That's good, right? It's good to have the word in us. But what's more important for us 
to be transformed from the inside, like we looked at uh, in our previous series on conversion. Jesus understood. The people didn't. But Jesus understood that our hearts are the most important things. Our mind is the most important thing, most important possession to him. Because as we saw with repentance, if you can convert the heart, convert the mind, you have the body. But when we get stuck into places where the outside is the only thing that we're looking at, where the outside is the only thing that we're paying attention to, you know, if I'm tatted up, they're like, okay, he can't be spiritual, right? He has too many tattoos. That's, I'm not saying go out there and get tattoos, David, right? But that's not an indicator of our hearts. Our hearts are seen by who we are. And Jesus wanted to make sure in his ministry of that. And John Mark actually highlighted that as well. So just a couple resources I want to throw up here. Because as you continue to read, you got commentaries that you can go after. You got different books like Getting the Most from the Bible. Some of you guys have study Bibles that have introductions that give you background into what was happening during the time of a book or a letter that was being written. Use those. You know, you also have, I mean, it's so many different resources online. When we went and did the uh, Disciple Makers series after church back in January and February, we talked about this even more extensively. How sites like Bible Hub end up giving you plenty of different resources to help you dig deeper so that you can understand what was happening. What was Galilee like? What was Judea like? What was the Decapolis like? So that as we read, we're not just reading so that if somebody asks me, hey, did you have a quiet time today? We could say, yes, we did. But so that we can read in the way that we're transformed by the word of God. And that's our hope, that as we dive into this, that not only we learn how to better use the word of God for our life, but we're also better at applying it. Because we got plenty of people trying to figure out life. They don't know which way is east or west. They don't know which way is north and south, spiritually, right? Spiritually, they have no idea because our world is pumping different things into their mind and trying to tell them that truth is no longer truth it's whatever you think it is and if you think a little bit differently than him that's all right we can all have truth together but john mark wanted to make sure that jesus is the messiah jesus has the good news jesus is the truth now it's up for us to follow this man of action it's up for us to not let just Jesus be a man of action, but his disciples to be a man and women of action as well. So as we continue to go through this series, as we continue to journey on, I pray that none of us just become smarter and more knowledgeable about the word of God, right? And stop there. That we use the wisdom that we get from the word of God to transform our lives and before we're going to have an opportunity to, to take communion and be able to pray and uh, just really take time to fix this thing 
to really take, maybe I just use it like as a table. Maybe that'll help. Yeah, I know, man. Might have to. Yes, please. Can I get $5, please? Can I get five? That's all I need, brother. But before we pray, I want to hit on one thing of what we read earlier in Mark chapter 1. Because John the Baptist, he went out preaching the word, telling, telling everyone that Jesus was the Messiah. Who was John the Baptist? He was a relative of Jesus. He was the son of a priest, Zacharias. He was a relative of Jesus who was six months older than Jesus. So they was pretty much the same age. Unlike Jesus, he grew up in Judea, closer to Jerusalem, and Jesus in Galilee. But the thing that uh, David Carrier pointed out to me, that's uh, definitely a resume booster, is that John the Baptist is the one who baptized Jesus, right? Well, he's like, man, that's, if that don't help you get a job, I baptized the Son of God, yeah, he came to me. But he still got his head chopped off, so I guess it didn't work back then. I guess they didn't have LinkedIn like today. But this who John was. John was someone that was a trailblazer, that said things that other people wouldn't say. Imagine this. In his time, the only people who were baptized were Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism. Only Gentiles get baptized. Then you hear this guy in the desert with the leather belt, camel hair, and locusts. Now, I'm pretty sure he didn't preach and eat at the same time. Hopefully he didn't, right? But this guy here was saying that all you people who think you're the children of Abraham, you need to get baptized for what? Repentance for forgiveness of sins. Imagine that. Wait a second. I mean, Matthew's account, it talks about the Pharisees saying that, hey, we're children of Abraham. We, we don't need what you're, what you're doing. You know, it says, that, let's look at it real quickly, uh, Carol, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, 7 and 8. This is a response. Mark, he left it out because he was writing to the Gentiles, right? So he's like, I'm not going to throw the Israelites under the bus right now. I'm writing to you Gentiles. But Matthew, he was writing to the Jews. So he brought it up. Matthew 3, 7 and 10, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees, John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. Hey, I've been going to church since I was five years old, Clint. I was going to church since I was one. I own 13 Bibles in three different languages, Clint. I'm good. I got baptized seven times and sprinkled three times, right? I had jello smeared on my head once, right? What John is saying here, what John is saying is that it always comes down to the heart. Who you know is not going to save you. How many Bibles that you have, that's not going to be the thing that turns you around. It's going to be us being able to embrace the love, the mercy, 
the grace of our powerful God in heaven and allowing Jesus' light to shine on us. Because he says, I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. God can use anybody to change this world. And I'm glad he uses us. But if you haven't surrendered to God yet, you're at that same crossroads that each and every one of us, we were at at one point in time. Where we're going to decide that are we going to just live on who we are, what we've done, or give it over to God? Because sometimes we, especially in America, we can feel entitled, can we? We can feel that just because I got an education, just because I got this job, just because I got this house, just because I got this many cars, that man, I don't really need God. I'm not in a place where my country is at a war, where I can't buy groceries. I'm not at any of that place. That's the same thoughts that the Pharisees had. I'm too good for the anointed one. May we never have that heart. Amen. May we never have a soul where we're entitled instead of being purpose built. Now, I'm going to show this quick slide. You know, you think about Baruch Assaults or Captain America. Do you want to be entitled? Do you want to, I want what I want right now? Or do you want to be built for a purpose? You know, this is a no-brainer, right? This is one of those, okay, which one should I choose? Choose the guy on the right, okay, in this case. <laughs> choose the guy on the right. Because in our spiritual sense, we can be like the Pharisees that didn't repent, feel entitled, feel that we should get everything that we have gotten. We deserve it. Or we can be made for a purpose that's greater than ourselves. We can be made to go make disciples, to go reflect Jesus off our lives, to praise him, to give to him all for his glory. And I got this picture here of Jesus on the cross. As we get ready to take the bread, as we get ready to take the fruit of the vine, we get to celebrate the one who had every right to be entitled. Jesus Christ. But instead, he lived out his purpose. That as we take the bread, as we take the juice, that we can truly embrace. Get some time. Let's pray uh, together because this is, this is one as we get ready to propel into the gospel of Mark. You know, this is just a, you know, a taste to, to get in. And hopefully, being able to understand some of the background of what was happening will help in, in, enhance our understanding of what was happening and to receive what God is trying to give to us to transform our lives. And as we take the bread, as we take the juice, that if we have any areas of entitlement, any areas where we feel like, okay, yeah, we, we deserve this because of who we are, as opposed to thinking that I'm just who God has made me, let's denounce that and focus on, man, God has blessed me richly. Even if 
I can go through a list of these are some things that I don't have. He still has blessed me. So what I want to do, I want to take some time. We'll give you guys a, a few minutes and give you some direction here as well. Get some few minutes to be able to pray before we take the bread and juice. And then we have the ushers. They have the bread and the juice on the side. So after you get your opportunity to pray to God, uh, you can come over at any one of the tables to take the bread and the juice. And if you need help, I know um, not everyone uh, is able to get up. If you need some help, please raise your hand, and we'll have one of the ushers come uh, and serve you so you, everyone can participate uh, as we remember Jesus. Amen? So I'm going to pray first, and then we can pray uh, together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, I just thank you. Thank you for just being able to dive into your good news. I mean, frankly, your whole Bible is good news because you have created us. You have reached out to us and you continue to reach out to us so that you can share your wealth and your goodness with us. I thank you that we're getting this opportunity right now to be able to partake in your greatest gift to us, your son, Jesus. That as we take the bread, as we take the fruit of the vine, that we can denounce any areas in our life that we feel that I deserve it. I've earned it. But to humbly come to you, just like John the Baptist, who just did what you wanted him to do, that was who you wanted him to be. And I pray as we, as we go to you right now with the person next to us, that we can humbly submit to where you're trying to take us. We love you, and all this we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.